Hello, and welcome to With Open Mouths, the podcast. I'm your host, Kanita Lilla. This podcast runs alongside Agnes's exhibition of the same name. The show With Open Mouths interrogates conventional museum practices. It asks if objects that originate outside Western knowledge-making systems can find their voices in new ways. In this podcast, I sit down with artists, spoken word poets, musicians, and curators to discuss the expression of their practice and to find out what inspired them to open their mouths and to be heard. We were stolen, put on display, taught a new language, distorted our face, what a shame. We were shining, they wanted us in shade. Today, I'm lucky to be joined by the creative team, Jesse Ray Short and Amy Mel Buff, who curated and are also exhibiting in the show at the Agnes called Lizu Tear, Other Worlds. Jesse Ray Short is an artist, filmmaker, and independent curator of Métis, Ukrainian, and German descent. Jesse Ray's practice involves uncovering connections between a myriad of topics that interest her, including, but not limited to, space and time, indigenous and settler histories, Métis visual culture, personal narratives, spiritual and scientific belief systems, parallel universes, electricity, aliens, and non-human beings. Jessie Ray explores these topics using mediums such as film, video, performance art, finger weaving, sewing, writing, and curating. She has been invited to show her work nationally and internationally, including at the Agnes Etherington Art Center here in Kingston and La Chambre Blanchet in Quebec City, Art Mur Berlin, a satellite exhibition of the contemporary native art Biennale, BACA, in Germany, and at the Wairaua Maori Film Festival in New Zealand. Jessie Ray is deeply grateful to be based in Pile of Bones, also known as Regina, in Treaty 4 territory. My other guest, Amy Mal Baff, is a Métis visual artist from Rich Lake, Alberta, Treaty 6 territory, currently living on unceded Mi'kmaq territory in Terence Bay, Nova Scotia. Through mediums such as animal hair tufting, beadwork, installation, performance, and tattooing, Malbath explores notions of identity, place, language, and ecology. She has exhibited her work nationally and internationally in over 40 shows at such venues at Artmuir, Montreal, Winnipeg Art Gallery, Museum of Contemporary Native Arts, Santa Fe, among others. She holds a Native Cultural Arts Instructor Certificate from Portage College and an MFA in Visual Art from the University of British Columbia, Okanagan. Thank you very much for joining me today, Amy and Jessie Ray. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure. And um, I just have to say, you know, I had this idea planned on what I was going to talk to you about, but after reading your bios, I was just completely blown away because of the complete scale of the kinds of things that you work with. You know, the idea of aliens, Jesse Ray, and 
animal tufting, it seems like a whole kind of universe of experience. Could you both just talk to me about that, please? I think we need to start with the aliens. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh thanks, Amy. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I just put that in there to be a bit tongue in cheek. But I mean, it's funny because uh, I completely de- left Facebook uh, a little while ago. Um, I just found it way too stressful to be on there. And then I recently had to rejoin Facebook for work, you know, because you need to do a lot of work stuff through Facebook now. So I started a brand new account and, um, you know, I think people are always suspicious like that it's uh, not actually me. And so I didn't really know what to say because, you know, what do you say to a whole bunch of random people who know you, you know, in varying ways? I just put this funny thing like, I'm not sure how to prove that it's me, except that if you have met me in real life, I've probably talked to you about aliens at some point, which (laughs) seemed to be... (laughs) proof for actually a fair number of people (laughs) um and I'm not really sure where that I mean I guess I've always been kind of interested in like science fiction and fantasy and things like that I really like the x-files in the 90s you know that kind of stuff and you know and then also I think it's interesting because you know, the more I learn about some different traditional teachings um, that I've been told from different First Nations people, elders, you know, there's like a lot of, a lot of unseen, you know, and I, I guess I'll just speak broadly here because I don't want to say anything I'm not supposed to say, but, you know, it's very common, I think, broadly speaking, that there's these sort of unseen things are just a given. I'm not sure exactly why I've had, you know, fascination with it my whole life, except that uh, I think often we're kind of drawn to those things that we can't quite get a hold of, right? Like, that's sort of what drives you. And I guess also, I think a lot too, just in my own practice, as I sort of move forward with things like, and and it's been said before, I remember um, there's this Métis artist, Rosalie Fable, who did this really cool piece in 2010 in Winnipeg where she actually projected this film piece about like Métis going to space um, in a planetarium. So, you know, those like domed buildings and they have those strange projectors with a big ball head, has many cameras, right? So it can project onto the whole dome. So she actually got to use that thing and she projected sort of this idea of Métis people, you know, being Indigenous people going to space, like what does that mean, you know, as people who've experienced and been a part of colonial processes. I think about that a lot too, I guess, you know, as somebody who's had connections to, uh, like has family connections to colonial battles, right? Ancestors who fought at Batash and, you know, we have family stories about that. So yeah, it kind of just, it just seems all connected in my mind. Um, I think it's very arrogant to assume that human beings are the only like quote unquote intelligent beings. I mean, not even, you know, which totally discounts like animals and, and the way that all sorts of different beings exist on this planet, but then also just more broadly in this whole wide universe. Like there's no way, there's just no way in my mind that, you know, 
we're the only ones or, or whatever we think we are. And then I guess as you know, space exploration becomes more real. I mean, ultimately we're colonizing space or, you know, Elon Musk is colonizing space, right? All these billionaires are colonizing space. And what does that mean? Like we can't even live amongst ourselves on earth well should we really be going (laughs) you know yeah I I guess there's just a lot of different connections um, to these things for me but also I just think it's really fascinating to think about what else is there that we don't know or see in these ways that are like sort of science approved like oh we can measure it in this particular way therefore it's real. And then anything that's not measurable in that very specific way doesn't exist. Despite the fact that people might say, well, no, it's real to me because of this interaction and how I understand it. And I think it's a really interesting um, thing to think around, especially with everything that's going on right now. Yeah. And, and I think also it's that kind of worldview expands everything. It like expands our possibilities and our you know connection with each other and the earth and i think amy's practice of animal hair tufting and like you know these kind of really tattooing and of the body and of the people and each other you know it kind of it it kind of it seems as if it's it's part of the same conversation do you think so amy Yeah, I do. Jesse talked a lot about things that you can't quite get a hold of and the intangible. And I remember being a kid and seeing caribou and moose hair tuftings and not understanding how they could come to be, like thinking that they were so magical that like some sort of magic must have had to have happened (laughs) for these beautiful art forms to exist For me, there's like a lot of magic in that art form. It's because of the things that you can't see, the incredibly micro things that you can't see. So inside of a moose hair or a caribou hair, the shaft is hollow. And that's what allows a tuft to happen is when you pull tight on the thread as you're sewing it in. Because it's hollow, it creates a perfect bend. And it allows the hair to expand upward and outward, creating a sculpture, essentially. And then you go in and you relief carve it, is how I describe it, with a pair of scissors. And if you don't know those things, it looks looks like magic. So I think that, you know, I'm very much also interested in sci-fi and fantasy and those kinds of realms. But like I see a lot of par- like Jesse too, I see a lot of parallels between um, the those forms of storytelling and our traditional forms of storytelling as Indigenous people. And I think you know that the art form of animal hair tufting say is very much related to animals of this earth. And I think that you know our relationship as Native people to the plants and to animals and to the beings of the earth, you know, it's a very close relationship of understanding. And so I think all of these things are very related as well. The fact that you work together on your artistic practice is very unique and very amazing because it does allow for like a much richer understanding and experience and practice. Um, How could you tell me how this came about and how you how you met and decided this is a fit, because I think a lot of people would be interested to know 
you know, how, how can you meet somebody who can compliment you? Well, I think it was loneliness that brought us together <laughs> from my perspective. <laughs> Although we'd met before, we'd met before. Yeah, I, the first show I ever curated was in 2012 in Toronto. And I co-curated that with a person named Vanessa Dion Fletcher in Toronto. And we curated together Amy into the show. Um, and Amy came and did a performance uh, for the exhibition, which was like the first time, I guess, we ever met in person. Yeah. And I think you stayed at the same like hotel as my parents. Because they came to visit and I don't know, had breakfast with them or something. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So we met then and then I ended up getting this job, this uh, curatorial like short-term contract in the BC interior in a super tiny town called Grand Forks. And, you know, it was good, but it was just, I was so out of my element. I didn't know anyone. Um, It was kind of like mini Kelowna, which is, Kelowna is like where a lot of people, I think in Western Canada go to retire, especially from Alberta, because it's warmer, for much warmer than Alberta for the most part. So there are a lot of retirees, I guess is what I'm trying to say in in Grand Forks as well, because it's even smaller. It was like 4,000 people. Um, it was a very quiet town and yeah, I didn't know anyone and I was like out of my element and I just remember, I don't know how I knew this, but somehow I knew that Amy and Jordan were going to UBC Okanagan, which is the UBC Satellite University in Kelowna. And I think I just started showing up at your house or something along those lines. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Are you serious? Yeah. Jesse would call or text and be like, is it okay if I come over? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. And she'd be like, great. Well, I'm already halfway there. (laughs) (laughs) I was just so lonely. I was like, I just want someone I kind of know who's close to my age, who, you know, is like doing cool art stuff. And uh, yeah, it was like a three hour drive. I would go at least once a month, I think. Um, So that was the power of my loneliness. Yeah, but but I I think also it it kind of sprung out of necessity. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it it wasn't like a calculated choice. It was like, if I cannot actually come together with this creative force, things are not going to work out the way that I want. I would have kind of lost my mind a little bit um, had I just lived there that whole time. But yeah, I just kept showing up, which is really nice of Amy and Jordan. <laughs> like They had like, I had my room <laughs> in the back of the house. Like uh, I knew the cats, like, and uh, yeah, the more that I started to show up, well, because Amy, you were in the middle of doing your master's and I had maybe four or five years before that finished my master's. And I think we would talk and we were having very similar difficulties. We were sharing our frustrations with each other around kind of a lack of both critical exhibitions and writing around Métis art. Of course, there is you know, many Métis artists and scholars that we were aware of who were practicing, but it was still difficult to find any information. And so we, we started 
<laughs> talking about that frustration. And it somehow turned into us taking on a very large research project. But I think, but I think before kind of talking about that research project, I think one thing that had maybe guided us together, I think our ancestors brought us together. We just we figured out through you know, these many visits uh, that we're related, that we're cousins. <laughs> oh my, no way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is like pretty typical. I mean, and you know, there's lots of ways that people become disconnected from their culture, right? And through no fault of their own. Um, but one of the things that I think a lot of people don't understand is like, you know, Generally speaking, Métis people have like really pretty good, thorough knowledge of their ancestry. You know, I think, Amy, you were telling me once, like, we're some of the most researched people or like there's a lot of documentation about us and our families, because, I think, because of the way that we sort of came into being alongside like the colonial uh, like mercantilism of Canada. So like the Hudson Bay Company and stuff. So there's actually a lot of records about our families and um, I haven't done enough research into my tree. Like I just kind of got back to a certain point and, and stopped, but I could keep going. Yeah. So we like, we literally got out our family trees, <laughs> started like, oh, looking and we're like, oh yeah. The, oh, look, oh, those people. Oh yeah. Like. <laughs> and you, you felt that intuitively? I mean, no, like your, your parents or your, your grandparents or somebody didn't say, you know, I know. It's really interesting because um, you'd never met before, you know, but and yet you were kind of, Jesse, like that idea of, you know, like an invisible kind of pull and like how you don't have a choice. It was definitely at play here. I know. I think had I not taken that job, like I don't think that we would be here right now. I think we probably would have known each other, but maybe not in this capacity. So your your family trees, you, you opened it up and you found a connection. Yeah, pretty much. I think, Amy, I think you knew already, you knew that you had shorts in your tree. Yes. Yeah, I knew that um, I had shorts in my lineage somewhere. And so, yeah, I was, cur I became curious about that. <laughs> started asking Jesse questions. <laughs> so that was really cool and fun. And then, you know, it was just because Amy was in the midst of doing her master or MFA. And, you know, like I had come up against a lot of the same frustrations when I'd done my MA. You know, we were almost doing like doctoral level research because there just wasn't enough written. And, and there's, you know, don't get me wrong, there are some really amazing um, scholars and artists and academics who are Métis who've, who have written and contributed to that field, but like it's so small, you know, like it's not like a big body of work. And, you know, there are only a handful of people, so they can only do so much. They've done important things, but I think that's what we kind of wanted to keep moving on from because, you know, surely if we are having this issue, like other other artists, other Métis artists especially, must be finding this kind of frustration. And yeah, I don't exactly remember how, but we we just talk, start talking about like, maybe we should just curate a show like, or 
see what artists are doing. I think that's how it started. We wanted to just, because we just started counting, like just on our fingers, you know, like we just started naming artists who we knew that were Métis, who were practicing. And we realized, you know, just off the top of our heads, I think we came up with like a couple dozen artists. And, you know, we figured there must be more and we should go talk to them. <laughs> see what they're doing but but hold on hold on before we get to this conversation because this is that's an amazing conversation but what I wanted to know from both of you is how did you get into the visual arts field at all what led you to that because it is such an elitist closed off space if there's any field that you know differentiates between like its own and other this is the field what drew you amy why did you decide to do this oh my gosh <laughs> i have no idea um i well i guess ever since i was a child i knew i wanted to be an artist of course as a child i had no idea what that actually meant um but that was kind of a path I was drawn towards from a very young age. And I just ended up, you know, as I got older, pursuing that. And I went, um, I went to college, I went to um, Alberta College of Art and Design. Um, it's now Alberta University of the Arts. And so that's kind of where I started onto that path. And your parents were cool with this? Like you, they, they kind of had a idea of what this entailed? Um, I, I don't, <laughs> they were supportive of me. Um, my, me and my siblings were all very creative and I would say my parents are as well. Um, but certainly a very different path from their own. I think they were supportive of, of what I wanted to do. I think they had a difficult time, like seeing how I would make a living. <laughs> And I think even, you know, it's been a decade now and I think they're still not sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was kind of where, you know, my education began. Afterwards, I went and I did um, uh, what was called a work study at the BAMP Center for the Arts. It was uh, like a practicum placement. And I think that period of time. I also did a residency right after that, like an arts residency at the same place. And I think that period of time was really formative for me in terms of, you know, I I got to see how a lot of artists worked and function in the world from ver from all over the world. And so just witnessing that, that's kind of where I got a start into the arts. And I think my role as an artist is always evolving and always changing. And um, I've pursued further education since that time. I did a Native Cultural Arts uh, instructor certificate in my hometown, and I did my MFA as well. Yeah, I've been drawn to all different types of mediums and art forms and uh, curation. And um, I kind of see it all as all very much related and all a part of a continuum. I find it very interesting how we always kind of come back, you know, uh, we come back to ourselves or to our, um, like some kind of essence to why it is that we uh, do what it is that we do. And you, JC? Yeah, well, I was just gonna say, I guess I kind of forgot about this, but um, it's like, 
Amy, I feel like it's like through, <laughs> it was going to happen eventually that we would meet because I also did that work study practicum in Banff and I did the same position that you did. I just did, I was the person before you and then you moved into that position when I left. <laughs> That's amazing. I forgot, I forgot about that. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I thought I would be an artist, but it just seemed like something I would probably do, probably because I was always a bit of a weird kid. And my parents, when I would just do, like, I would just like get up at night and I would draw a mural on my bedroom wall at like 2 a.m. Whoa. Or, you know, I don't know why I did. I was just like, I think I need to do this right now. And so I think when I did weird things that were like vaguely creative, my parents didn't totally get it. So they just say, oh, Jesse, she's such an artist. Uh, (laughs) so it's like I don't know if it was like destined or whatever but I actually then um tried to I enrolled at in uh, ACAD now Alberta University of the Arts as well and then I didn't even make it through a semester I dropped out so and here I am today so you can be an art school dropout and be an artist who knew but just at the time, like when I think back to it, it just wasn't the right place for me. Like I liked it, but I really hated being forced to like draw boxes for eight hours or something, you know, like, and I know those are the foundation things, but it's just, sometimes it's hard to understand why you're doing that. Yeah. But, but also like just, you know, having an institution of art is so problematic in many, many, many ways. Um, especially when you're kind of rearing to go and you want to do stuff and they, they're kind of trying to push you into a curriculum. It's just tough. Yeah, yeah. And it just, so it wasn't a good fit for me. But I did, you know, I went and did a, a Bachelor of Arts and a Master of Arts, but not fine arts, right? Like I was doing more social sciences kind of thing, but always like skirting around art. <laughs> And then um, after I finished my master's, which I wrote about contemporary Métis visual culture, because I was just curious, I I was partially autoethnographic, so looking at myself and my family. And then I also interviewed three other um, Métis artists, uh, Rosalie Fable, Christy Belcourt, and David Garneau, um, just to try and wrap my head around this more and, like, see if there was some kind of connection. And... Yeah, so I was definitely heading in that direction. And then um, I curated this show after that in 2012 that Amy was in. That was the first show I ever curated. And then I became the director of the now, oh, Indigenous Curatorial Collective. Uh, had a different name back then for a while. And I think that really got me started on wanting to do my own work um, because I got to, it's, it's like a sort of an umbrella organization to broadly promote the work of indigenous artists and curators around the country. And because of that, I got to see so many artists, so many really amazing indigenous artists and what they were doing and curators and arts writers. And like, it was just this whole world that I didn't even know existed. And um And, you know, a lot of the, most of them are functioning in that sort of contemporary art gallery circuit. And so that 
I got to learn a lot about it through their experiences, you know, trying to navigate that to help other artists. And yeah, just as I, I saw the amazing depth of work that you could do as not just an artist, but like as an indigenous artist. And um, I was really inspired uh, but also being the director of an organization like that means that you have like zero time to do your own work. So uh, sequences of events happened. I ended up uh, leaving. It was then it, I was in Toronto doing that position for a little bit. And um, I'd lived out East in Ontario for like 13 years at that point. And I had my own project that I want to start doing uh, about an ancestor and I just knew so strongly that I needed to move back to the prairies to do that like I just knew I needed to come home I got this opportunity to come home while I got dumped (laughs) my relationship of eight years you know like oh oh oh, points but you know, it's fine because I, I think that's the only way I would have come back, right? Because my ex really wasn't interested in moving to the prairies. And I just, I knew that's where I need to go. And, you know, there were other issues, whatever. So I was very, very sad. My dad drove back from Ontario with me and I cried a lot. It was totally what needed to happen. And so when I got back to Calgary, I moved back home with my parents. Thank you, parents. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, for a bit, I I was there and it was just like it, something just opened up. Like I wanted to get into filmmaking and I kept applying for these like mentorship programs in Toronto and they were so competitive. They were like, be, you're, you can be an emerging filmmaker, apply. And then I would see who would get it. I never got called or never even got close then I'd see who got it as an emerging filmmaker. Somebody had already made like 10 short films. And I was like, what? <laughs> what is what is emerging even? So I guess maybe the scale is just a bit different. I don't know. But when I moved back to Calgary, that's when I really started like to make work publicly. I got a few mentorships. So I got to make a few films. Um, I started to learn like finger weaving, found a teacher there. And I started to do that and I was incorporating it into performance art. And it was just like this, the doors just kind of like opened. And so really like I didn't start practicing as a public artist till I was 35, I would say. And I'm 40 now. So. Incredible. Absolutely. It's incredible. And thank you so much for sharing that because, you know, um, people think that there's one like trajectory, like one way of kind of doing what it is that you need to do. And I think from both of you, there is definitely the sense that it, you know, you need to do it. It's just, it's just like, you know, um, what you need to do. So I think what I would find like very interesting is if you could talk a bit about um, your creative process together, like Amy and Jesse, how, how does this look? How does it start and how does it get initiated? What are the kind of processes and thinking um, that takes you through Well, I guess it's pretty, like, familiar. I don't know. We talk a lot about everything. I Yeah, I think we have a very, you know, we have a very organic working relationship. And it's been very, very intuitive. Mm -hmm. And it has been quite some time. I think it's, like, 2015, 2000, 
Um, so at this point, I feel like sometimes we just share the same brain, (laughs) (laughs) which is a nice Um, place to get to. Yeah. But I mean, I think it's been, it's definitely been a journey to get there. And I think in the beginning, it really started out with simply having a lot of conversations with one Mm -hmm. another. That's, and that's, that's always been key is that we probably talk about things too much, but <laughs> um, but I think because we we are able to talk so openly uh, with each other, it makes you know when things really need to get done, when we have deadlines, um, we really know where the other stands. So it's it's kind of I don't know. I feel like we've become this really like efficient, <laughs> well-oiled, well, I don't know if well-oiled. Yeah, uh, <laughs> sort of squeaky. Sort of squeaky. <laughs> um, but I think uh, we've certainly come to this place of trust as mm-hmm. well, um, where if one of us isn't capable to, you know, carry their workload for whatever reason, the, the other carries it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we reciprocate that for one another. Mm-hmm. And so I think that has been a key element to working with each other. Yeah. So for example, in Lisbeth Care, um, Other Worlds, that's on at the Agnes, you are both exhibiting and curating. How did this, how, how did this kind of evolve? How did the process evolve? <laughs> I think that came... Um, that came really early on in our working relationship. We wanted to do that. We wanted to both create and make. But I, you know, this is the third in a series of exhibitions that we have created together. And the first two, we um, we were curators only. And I think as creatives and as makers, we really felt compelled to contribute to this conversation visually through making and not just curating. And, you know, we had done the two kind of conventionally curated shows. And uh, this time around, we felt like, um, you know, expanding on that a little bit for ourselves. I was going to say, I think too, a lot of it has to do with where we are and who we're working with. Like we started working with Emily Changer when she was still at the AGYU and she has been so incredibly supportive. She actually came out, like flew herself out to Edmonton to see the second show that we did. I think she was one of the only people who came from Eastern Canada, which was so amazing. Like, and she came to the two-day symposium we did and, and she was just like really supportive and really just present. And it made such a big impact because I think we were both quite like burnt out we're like I don't know if we can ever do this again but you know when uh, she approached us about creating something new um, and she was so flexible about that structure and what we could do and so you know because typically speaking like you're it's kind of like a no-no to like curate your own work again you work with all these artists and it's something that you're also passionate about and like you get thoughts, right? Like, I think we were both like, but I have something to say too. So 
you know, Emily was really open to that. We didn't have to be just curators necessarily and was just really supportive of like our vision to just, you know, this will be probably our last show together and um, to to do something really interesting and, and unique, which is, you know, why all the works in this exhibition are, they're all brand new, made for this exhibition um, to kind of, you know, go beyond curating what's already there and, and, you know, create as we're creating a curatorial vision, you know, it's sort of like this holistic thing. What is your ideal understanding of like curation versus production? It's a very, very close uh, kind of relationship. So I guess curators are becoming more professionalized, right? Uh, like there's now uh, master's programs of curatorial studies and things like that, where it used to be, from my understanding, like something that you more, it was almost like a work placement, like you just start to do it and that's how you kind of figured it out. Um I'm always curious. I always ask curators like who, are, because curators often do have uh, creative practices, not always, but I find it to be more rare to meet a curator who really does nothing, like has no creative practice of their own outside of curating, you know, than, than vice versa. So I always like to ask other curators, like, are, do you make work? You know, are you an artist? Because I always find that really fascinating. I don't know. Like I never, my goal was never to be a curator. Like I remember in my position at the Banff Center, I guess because it was more of an administrative sort of one versus like a studio based position. Um, people would ask me a lot, you know, do you think you're going to be a curator? And A, I had really no idea what a curator was <laughs> until I started working there. I was like, I don't know. There are those people, they were all black. <laughs> Uh, you yeah. know, back in like 2010 or whenever I was there, Blackberries were still popular. I remember oh, yeah. somebody being like, artists have iPhones and curators have Blackberries. That was oh, the difference. <laughs> <laughs> and like certain hairstyles and, and quite kind of forbidding, you know, like, I yeah. And, and you know, you wonder like, what what is it, you know, about like the figure of the curator? I think, I think that... Today, in a way, curators have superseded the figure of the artist. This kind of like postmodern idea of like the artist is dead and, you know, the author is dead. Um, so, so you kind of need like this other figure to kind of guide you through this, this um, unique vision, you know. Um, hopefully it's kind of breaking down now because it's complete. I mean, it's just based on ego in the same way. You know, that like the, the kind of individual male ego uh, artist. I also had a, a curator who was like of an older generation, like maybe in her 60s, I would guess, who I think was more of a strict curator. Tell me once that, um, what did she say? Oh, she didn't want me to write like a statement. Oh, or I think she was saying like uh, she didn't like artist statements because that was the curator's job was to interpret wow. the work, which I, I mean, it just kind of, I was like, Oh, really? <laughs> like, but I also, and I also could never imagine, maybe this is just because I mostly work with indigenous artists and, you know, and I can't, I, I cannot speak for 
any Indigenous person, you know, but myself, really. And uh, so I would never think that way. Um, but I mean, she kind of then followed up to say she thinks too much um, is being demanded of artists, you know, uh, in exhibitions today. And I, I also I appreciate that, but I also think it's kind of wild to just be like, well, you know, be totally silenced as an artist. Like you just give over your work and you're like, here you go, you figure it out. No, it's, it's completely awful and it kind of, you know, it kind of impinges on almost kind of like abusive because you're actually taking somebody's voice and you're saying, this is what they say, instead of, you know, kind of perhaps working together with, with artists to kind of try and make something concrete that people, that you can co convey to like an audience. But I know that like the process, like the artistic process is not always you know, it's not seamless at all. There are always challenges. What are the kind of challenges that you two face? You're not based in the same city. Um, you know, what are the things that you kind of encounter? <laughs> <laughs> so many. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, not being based in the same place wasn't such an issue before uh, the pandemic. Um, we met up a lot in person um, frequently. Um, we both used to travel a lot. And so, you know, that's kind of been a challenge we've had with the mounting of this particular exhibition at, um, at Agnes. Yeah, it's been difficult to not be there for the install and difficult to not be with one another um, making decisions in the same room. I think we've literally been installing this show for like six months now. Jeez. Yeah. Because it's just, you know, for a while, only one person could be in the gallery. So it was literally one person installing these like very large <laughs> pieces by themselves. Um, and then things kept getting shut down. And then, you know, shipping was delayed. So because these are all new works, like we had to get very specific materials for some of them. And suddenly, you know, and there's like supply chain issues, right? People would have something one day and then it would all be gone the next day. And you'd be like, well, when can you get the back? And they're like, we don't know. You know, like that happened a number of times with a lot of the pieces. So yeah, it's been really challenging. But I mean, also it's like, we're lucky, I guess, to because so many artists have, just had their shows canceled and, you know, that we even get to put this up for, you know, and I guess hopefully some people are seeing it. We haven't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I've, I've seen um, a part of it because it was also kind of, you know, it's kind of been staggered and also, yeah, mm -hmm. it must be really difficult to communicate to people who you've never, haven't met or you don't have a personal relationship with to express ideas about a conceptual show, which it really is. The last time I encountered it was actually in the entrance hall. And it was, it was just, it was crazy. It was completely crazy. The pool was going up. It was incredible. Like the pool was going up and those enormous like stainless steel drum-like tubes were being placed and water was gushing out and it was this cold day and everybody's hair was standing on end because it, you know it was it's anyway I mean it's just it's a show of a lot of energy which is 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 
phenomenal. You know, it's just got a lot of energy and movement um, and people are interested in that. Um, but as like a last question, what drew you to the show and why is it close to your heart? <laughs> um, oh my goodness. Um, I think it's close to our heart. I mean, my heart. I can't speak our for heart, it. yeah. Our heart. I feel like we have the same brain and heart yeah. at this point. <laughs> um, I feel like it's close to my heart because it's something that we, you know, I almost see it as the culmination of our years of research. And I see our years of research basically as a labor of love for our people and for our fellow Metis artists. And, um, you know, it's... Um, yeah, it's just felt like a really long time coming. And we met with so many artists early on in our journey. When we first started doing our research, we met with over 50 artists. And so, of course, we haven't um, we haven't exhibited um, all of those artists because that just wouldn't be uh, feasible, you know, getting to know those artists and um, deeply engaging in conversation with various artists and creatives and uh, curators over, you know, the last however many years it's been. You know, it's been it's been such an honor to work with all of those people, and then to be able to kind of showcase and support these works. So these, uh, as Jesse mentioned, they're all new works, and so to be able to support the artists in developing these new projects. And kind of work with these themes <laughs> um, that we were talking about in the beginning, you know, pulling together not only the work of, you know, Métis artists, but pulling together these various themes that seem like they're <laughs> kind of all over the place. I'm really excited that, you know, the show is finally up and it's finally here and we're finally sharing it. Yeah, I, I can totally, I can totally feel your love, like, you know, looking through those um, works, like completely, it's, it's a fantastic, fantastic show, Les Um and I just, I really, I hope that you'll be able to see it, I hope that you can come to Kingston. <laughs> Me too. Planning? Like, are you planning on coming to Kingston sometime? I think maybe in November sometime, you know, assuming things don't get shut down again, so I'm... Who knows? Yeah. Hopefully. Well, please do. Please do and come and meet us. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's been such a pleasure, Amy and Jesse. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for talking with me. I could talk with you for the whole day, but I know that that's not possible. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Kenita. Thank you. Thank you for listening to With Open Mouths, the podcast. Special thanks to my guests, Amy Malbuff and Jesse Ray Short, for speaking with us today. This podcast is hosted and produced by myself, Connie Lilla, and produced by Agnes Etherington Art Center in partnership with Queen's University's campus radio station, CFRC 101.9 FM. The music is composed by Jamil 3DN and produced by Alroy EC3 Cox 3. 
Subscribe now so that you don't miss our next episode. You can find the podcast at Digital Agnes, CFRC's website, and on podcasting platforms like Apple, Google, and Spotify. We'll see you next time. They thought we would stay slaves. One chapter, but this novel has me.